Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Hey, this is Christy. And this is Chloe. And we are enjoying a beautiful drink outside today. Um, We love to spend time together cross-country again. Um, And probably one of the best ways that we can do it is by sharing uh, across the table from one another. So today, Chloe has prepared an amazing drink, and I have prepared my own. Chloe, if you want to share. Absolutely. So this was um, something that came to mind, actually, because of the conversation we're having today. We have the privilege of speaking with Rebecca Bloomfield from Adama, which is located in Falls Village, Connecticut. And um, it's young people come together to farm um, and to have the opportunity to work with the land. And last summer, I spent a couple of months um, out in Falls Village doing this program. And something that I loved most about about uh, the time that I shared with other people there was the opportunity to cook together. And we had access to all of the vegetables and fruits coming from the farm. Um, And so something that I really loved doing, we had someone in the program who was super skilled at making iced coffee. And he would make it every night, which was perfect way to start out the day. Um, but what I got into more and more as we got along, I was learning about different herbs along the farm. And so I would go and harvest them and then concoct strange iced tea drinks that <laughs> people would sometimes generously drink. So today <laughs> I <laughs> I did something very similar. Um, I recently got my farm share from a local farm and they had fresh sage. And it's like one little bundle of sage, but that's a lot to get through for just a couple people. So um, I decided to make some sage iced tea and to do it, I combined it with ginger. So I took a um, kind of a knob of ginger, peeled it, cut it up into chunks and put it into a pot with some water and um, gosh, probably half a bunch of sage leaves. And I just brought the pot to a simmer for about 15 minutes. Um, took it off, let it cool, and then put it in the fridge over the night. And it is really interesting and <laughs> really delicious. It's super cooling. Um, I'm actually going to pour some right now because I haven't had any today. Um, have you ever had ginger and sage together? Not together, no. No. But it yeah. sounds amazing. I love ginger in general. And mm-hmm. yeah, it would be yeah, really good. Yeah, and the ginger is really great for digestion. The sage... Um, what I've read up on it, um, it's great overall. It kind of has antimicrobial um, properties, and it's a really wonderful uh, medicinal herb. So together, it's kind of this cool combination. Um, and I didn't add any sweetener or anything. It was just sort of as it was. So it's super tasty. Um, we're getting up to 100 degrees out here. So <laughs> it's wow. definitely nice. Yeah. How about you? I heard that you scavenged for some lavender this morning, that it was an expedition. Yes. Yes. It's amazing. I called a bunch of different places to see if they had any culinary lavender. Mm-hmm. Um, I got on this lavender kick because one of my coworkers created a cocktail at the winery where I work, and it was a lavender blueberry sangria. And Whoa. so he took, yeah, right? He took some of our Riesling 
some of our we make vodka but we make it out of apples so some of the riesling the vodka um some of our blueberry wine and a lavender infused simple syrup and it is so good so I didn't do that today I decided to shift it a little bit and make it a bit brighter and more lemony so it's the lavender simple syrup, which all that I did was I took about a teaspoon of lavender, dried lavender, mm-hmm. to about a cup of sugar and a cup of water to make the simple syrup. You simmer it just sort of like how you simmered the ginger mm-hmm. and the um, and the sage. You let it sit, and about 15 minutes later, I had a beautiful simple syrup, very floral, um, very strong as well. So a little <laughs> bit goes a long way. Um but I took some lemons, some fresh lemons, juiced them, and mixed the two together, added a little bit of water just to um, calm things down a little bit, and uh, added some of our blueberry port to make it super fun. Um, so yeah. this is, <laughs> this is delicious. <laughs> I... I kind of think that we shouldn't do this cross country, Christy. I think we could work out a better arrangement. Um. I know, I know, but I will that definitely send you the recipe. Good, good, you better. Wow, that is nice. That's a nice way to end the day. How how was it for you? Was that chaotic to look all over for the lavender, or like what was this process like for you? No, it was actually really beautiful. I called, there's a local store, a local health food store, and I called them and they were like, no, we don't have it, unfortunately, but you can check out this cookware place. There's like this gourmet cooking spice shop um, a couple of towns over. And so I drove out that way, and it was actually a straight shot to drive out that way. And then on the way back, I noticed that there was a farm stand that was boasting over 80 different types of herbs. And I, I couldn't just not drive by. <laughs> so I pulled over and it was amazing. It was like this beautiful forest on the side of the road filled with tons of different plants and herbs and tomatoes. And oh it, it was it was incredible. So I wandered through this jungle and realized that nobody was there. And I read the sign on the door and it said, we use an honor system here take whatever you'd like. Here's an envelope, fill it out. You can write checks to so-and-so and just slip it in the door and take what you want. And so Christy. I bought, <laughs> right? Isn't that beautiful? That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I bought um, some English mint. So my next drink will feature mint, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so I potted that when I got home and It was just a really beautiful, relaxing way to sort of explore and also, you know, have some faith in humanity. Um, You know, it's And that's so magical, too, that you just happened to come across this place on the day that you were looking for, like, lavender, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty, yeah, that's really special. It was really cool. Hmm. Yeah, when I made this tea last night, it was the first night really that I've cooked in our kitchen we recently moved and it's been a little bit chaotic haven't had access to all my kitchenware pantry's pretty empty so (laughs) has you know have been trying to adjust a bit and um just making this it was so simple but it really I don't know I had I had some music on the music that um, you and I listen to <laughs> a lot, <laughs> which is very <laughs> meditative and restorative. And um, 
yeah, I had just had one of those days where I felt kind of uh, really sad about um, just kind of some some stuff going on in our world and uh, was driving by these hills near where I grew up, um, these really gorgeous golden covered hills and um, for years I've known that they're going to build on these fields with mm. these old ancient oak trees um, and today or yesterday was the first day that I saw the tractors coming down the hillside and cutting the hill in half and wow. that just like really um, yeah just really wore down on my soul <laughs> and yeah. um, you know they're going to bring in housing with um with a lot of trees and pathways which is great and and people need a place to live which is so important and good um but it just comes with a lot of mixed emotions because uh yeah it's it's complex and um so going home and just listening to music and making something with something that was uh you know grown a couple of miles away was really it sort of renewed me in certain ways um and yeah, just really enjoyed that moment. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, those moments of restoration are to be able to breathe into the food that we eat and and to recognize the people that are always engaged in making our food, whether it's in growing it or cooking it or um, transporting it. I mean, there's there's a lot that goes into it. And when we recognize the human connections of that food to us, we can um, be a part of something so much bigger. Right. That's a great way to put it because, yeah, even with with kind of what we're talking about with the environmental stuff, like the food is where the human connection to this greater world, it's, yeah. it's even hard to talk about because our language sort of talks about humans and then the environment or nature as two separate things. Um, and food is just one portal into like how that's a false dichotomy or a false separation of these two worlds um, that we're very much a part of this greater uh, world and that we we depend on one another. Absolutely. Mm. So as I mentioned earlier, today we're sitting at the table with Rebecca Bloomfield, the director of Adama, and she touches on some of these themes. Um, Adama is a truly incredible program. It offers adults in their 20s and 30s the opportunity to deeply engage and explore farming, intentional community, and Judaism um, all at the, at the, in, in a meshed way at the same time. Absolutely. Their mission statement really sums it up beautifully. It says, Adama cultivates the soul and soil to produce food to build and transform identities, and to gather a community of people changing the world. Adam Ma started in Falls Village, Connecticut, and has since also opened a location in Berkeley, California, which is known as Urban Adama. And Rebecca actually participated in the program in the fall of 2005. And now, after following a path that has led her through leadership positions at the likes of the Edible Schoolyard in Berkeley and the Organic Farmer Training Program at Michigan State University, Rebecca now accompanies Adama Fellows in Connecticut. Rebecca, it is such a joy to be sharing this time with you today. 
Rebecca, we wanted to start off with a handful of lines from one of your favorite poems that you shared with us. It's called To Be of Use by Marge Piercy. Marge says, I want to be with people who submerge in the task, who go into the fields to harvest and work in a row and pass the bags along, who are not parlor generals and field deserters, but move in a common rhythm when the food must come in or the fire must be put out. The work of the world is common as mud. Botched, it smears the hands, crumbles to dust. But the thing worth doing well done has a shape that satisfies, clean and evident. The pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. Rebecca, it's really a joy to be talking with you today. So thank you so much for joining us here. And I still remember the first time I learned about Adama. As listeners know, I grew up in the Christian tradition and um, in seminary while I was in school, I attended a conference called the Spirit of Sustainable Agriculture over at Harvard Divinity School in Boston in 2016. And one of the breakout sessions was hosted by Jana Siller, Adama's farm director. And I still remember going into the room. Um, Jana invited us to engage in text study with a partner sitting next to us um, using a piece of scripture from the Hebrew Bible. She passed out fermented pickles for us to try. Um, I just, and I loved her presentation about Adama. And there was something so exciting about the immersive quality of the chance to engage with soil and with other young people in a way that is anchored in the Jewish tradition. Um, and I really yearned to to learn more about the program and um, and about how I could become involved. And could you tell us a little bit more about your first encounter with the Isabella Friedman Jewish Retreat Center and Adama in particular? Um, it's a place that you've spent a lot of your adult life. And I'm just curious what, what first spoke to you about this place? Yeah, it's fun to think back on that. Um, when I graduated college, I volunteered on a farm for the first time for about a month. And this experience made it clear to me that I wanted to spend more time on farms and in connection with land and with food and where it comes from. I'd become kind of disconnected from Judaism during college and had a craving to reconnect to that tradition. And I remember literally Googling Judaism plus organic farming and Isabella Friedman <laughs> popped up and Adama mm -hmm. popped up, um, which was in its beginning stages at that time. And I knew it would be a good fit. Um, my first impression of Isabella Friedman, the retreat center was, of course, it's natural beauty. But more than that, what spoke to me about this place was the warmth and the openness of the people there. I know that... Uh... Adam F. Fellows are invited to engage with agriculture, sometimes for the first time, alongside Jewish learning and spiritual practice. So can you tell us a little bit more about how this integrative model came to be? Sure. And honestly, I know that in some ways this model sounds really innovative and new, but it's really about returning to our roots. <laughs> no pun intended, um, meaning <laughs> that Jews were a people of the land before they became a people of the book. Um, Jewish practice and the cycles of the year are actually deeply rooted in not just the natural world, but also in agricultural cycles. 
Um, the founders of the Adama Fellowship originally, Shamu Sada and Adam Berman, brought this integrative model to Isabella Friedman in the form of Adama to offer this new way of engaging with Judaism and the land to people in their 20s and 30s. Um, a lot of Jewish learning tends to be really intellectualized, and at Adama, Jewish learning and practice are also embodied and experiential. And what does this integration of community and farming and also spiritual practice look like on a daily basis in a very tangible way? Yeah. Um, so, Chloe, I know you know this really intimately, having done it <laughs> day in and day out for a summer. Um, so we start our day at 6 a.m. with Avodat Lev, or Service of the Heart, which is an alternative version of the traditional morning service. Then we have farm chores, so milking goats, hauling bins of compost to the compost piles, taking care of our chickens. Then we have field work for a few hours before and after lunch. We have classes before and after dinner, and the classes range in topics from um, agriculture and ecology to communication and leadership skills to social justice issues and, of course, Judaism. Um, in many ways, the routine itself becomes a spiritual practice, I found. I know I felt that when I did Adama, and it still feels true to me today. Um, there's an element of letting go and surrendering to what comes from the intensity and the fullness and the immersiveness, if that's a word, of each day. Um, and I do think that the word integration is really key here. It's not just that we're combining disparate parts to fill a day. It's that through this combination, the spiritual practice becomes grounding and practical, and the farming and the connection to the natural world in many ways brings Judaism to life and becomes its own kind of spiritual practice. Uh, my question is, uh, was the integration of food, community, and spiritual practice something that you had experienced in your own life before coming to Adama and starting down this path? Honestly, not really. Um, the first moment I remember feeling spiritually connected to food was on the farm where I had volunteered after university and before I came to Adama. The sense of wonder and awe and connection to something greater that I felt in watching food grow, harvesting things right before turning them into a meal, etc., was beautifully indescribable. And then I came to Adama with an appetite for more of that. And when you add community into that mix, it just amplifies and kind of deepens everything. Hmm. Definitely. What have been your most formative experiences at this intersection of food and theology since? So you you saw it at Adama, and you've seen it many times, um, kind of repeating out in the life of staff and fellows, um, maybe in your own life, and maybe in Jewish communities and movements in general. Um, are there a couple of moments or formative experiences that have really, um, yeah, stood out to you? Yeah, you know, when I think about my time between being in Adama as a fellow and coming back to work here, um, I realized that that intersection has become kind of a compass for me. And so I can't, I can't think of specific other formative experiences, like doing the Adama Fellowship is what jumps out to me and surfaces for me the most as a, a specific experience. But really over time, that intersection has yeah been a compass that's 
um, help me decide whether the ways I'm spending my time are as aligned as they can be with my values around food and spirituality, whether that's my work or outside of work or the community I'm spending time with. Um, and it's been really cool seeing this field of Jewish community farming grow immensely in the past 13 years. It's incredible to know that there are now lots of options out there for folks who are interested in exploring how Judaism and spirituality and community and food and farming all connect. Um, I imagine anyone else now Googling Judaism plus farming uh, having lots more options. And 13 years is a long time. Um, certainly building community and engaging deeply with identity and even training new farmers every couple of months can, um, we can definitely imagine, have its challenges. What are some of the challenges that Adama staff and fellows face as well as some of the experiences that keep you present and involved? This is a great question. Um, I guess I'll start with challenges that fellows face. So of course it depends on the fellow, but it seems like a pretty universal experience here that getting used to the early mornings, the long days, the physical work, et cetera, can be challenging. Also, the community is intentionally pluralistic. We have fellows with varying levels of connection to and experience with Judaism, some traditionally Orthodox, some culturally Jewish, and many other expressions of Judaism. We also have people who come here with varying levels of experience with farming and intentional community. And some fellows arrive at Adama as social justice activists, and some arrive having never thought about privilege and oppression before. And navigating that and connecting across those differences and sharing prayer and learning and farming and, you know, a house um, is a big challenge. And, of course, it also ends up being deeply rewarding. Um, in terms of challenges for the staff, I think one has to do with the repetition. So leading an emotionally and physically demanding program for three cohorts a year takes a lot. And the challenge for us is to find newness in it every time, to not let inertia or autopilot set in. Um, because as soon as that happens, I think it not only affects the quality of what we offer to fellows, but it also slows our own growth. And the other thing that comes to mind is not necessarily a challenge, but more of a practice in humility. Um, we learn a lot from our fellows and are constantly evolving what we do here based on feedback we get from them, especially and specifically around social justice and equity issues. So that's been a, a place where we've done a lot of learning and it's been really humbling to be able to do that and to be part of that, the evolution of the program in that way. Hmm. I remember just being there, seeing the ways that Adama had evolved over time um, we're still there were there were traces of it still apparent um hearing about the the program with the goats and how um milking and having cheese production um looked different at different periods of time about how the fermentation program where you make your own pickles and kraut how um that's taken different shapes during different time and then like you're saying just the the programming and the learning itself around um issues of social justice and identity has also definitely evolved. Can you share a little bit more about how Adama has sought to navigate these changes over the years, just kind of recognizing again the challenge that comes with change? 
Sure. So you gave a really good summary of a few things that have changed over the years, and it's definitely shifted, like you said. And it sounds like the question is really about how we navigated those changes and shifts. And um, Mm -hmm. I'd say some of it's been trial and error, you know, trying something new and learning by doing whether it's a good fit for the program. And we always come back to the central question of whether a specific change or addition to the program will ultimately connect us more to our mission or whether it may slowly shift us away from our mission. We're always looking to strike a balance between being responsible farmers who take care of the soil and feed a lot of people and being an educational program that also prioritizes time for questions and learning and spiritual practice. So the evolution of the program really involves learning when to say no, when to take risks, what questions to be asking, etc. It also involves zooming out and looking years down the road and asking ourselves what we envision for Adama and does a specific change today that we're considering put us on a path toward that vision or not. Yeah, and you've you've touched on this a little bit as well. So Adama also strives to commit itself as a program to issues of social and environmental justice. Can you describe this connection, what it looks like in day-to-day work, and why Adama finds this connection so important, especially from a spiritual point of view? Yeah, so in a lot of ways, Adama can be an escape for people. You come to this idyllic and beautiful place where you sing and pray and farm and cook, Mm -hmm. and it's really important to us that we make clear the connections between what we do here and how it fits into what we hope is systemic change. We don't want to be in a bubble. Um, Specific examples that come to mind, we, because we're at a retreat center, we have access to this incredible free resource, which is a constant stream of food waste from the kitchen and dining hall. Um, So every morning, Adama fellows take bins of compost, so scraps from the kitchen or leftover food from guests, and take it up to our farm. We have probably five or so huge piles of compost in various stages of decomposition. And so we get to see really everything go from being in a form that you're used to seeing in a kitchen or dining hall setting, and we watch it become what looks like soil, and which is this nutrient-dense compost that we end up spreading on our fields, and they help us grow beautiful vegetables, which then go back to the kitchen and dining hall. And it's where we also have our chickens, and they roam around and get to eat the food waste, so they have probably one of the most diverse diets of any chickens I've ever (laughs) known. Um, Pretty striking, and it's also really nice to be able to explain to guests who come to the retreat center who um, aren't connected to Adama necessarily that they get to be involved with the farming also because they're eating and they're putting food scraps in the compost bin. And um, even though they may not be working on the farm, they still get to be a part of the cycle. Like I said, we haul bins of food waste into these giant piles and we watch them break down over time. Um, And we talk about carbon and nitrogen and fungus and bacteria and air and water. And all of this feels really tangible and it's right in front of us. And we also turn that into deeper conversations. So what can we learn from the process of turning waste into something of value? 
what has to rot and decay to make way for transformation. Um, yeah, and you know, what springs to mind is like the morning I woke up after the 2016 presidential election. I remember literally thinking of compost and being like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> um, I'll end that thought there. But um, in terms of why Adama finds this connection so important, um, to me, it would be a disservice to our fellows and to the world to operate a program like this in a bubble. I think we have a responsibility to examine the ways in which we fit into systems of privilege and oppression, because once we have that awareness, we're able to make choices in what we say and what we do and you know, what we buy, how we vote. And mm -hmm. over time, I think that that leads to justice. And it may not be something that we see in our lifetime, but we recognize that the tiny shifts we see on a daily basis here are reminders of what's possible. Thank you. Is, is there a favorite food or vegetable that you've encountered at Adama? There's obviously a lot of different vegetables that are grown there, different meals that are shared. Um, but, but one food or vegetable that sort of captures your reflection so far um, or the essence of what you find so meaningful uh, at the intersection of food and, and spirituality? Yeah. So I had never heard of kale before coming to Adama. I thought the only leafy things to eat were spinach and lettuce in the world. Um, so kale's been a steady vegetable love of mine ever since I encountered it. And in terms of how or whether that capture, captures what we've been talking about, um, to me, there's something about kale that feels reliable and nourishing the same way that a steady spiritual practice can or a piece of land or a community where you have a sense of belonging. That's really great. I love kale too because it's so robust. Like you can leave it in your fridge for like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Rebecca, where can we go from here and how can we get our listeners involved in Adama's work and, and also within their own context, wherever our listeners may find themselves? Well, if you're listening and you're in your 20s or 30s and your curiosity is peaked, you can go to our website, find out more about what we do and you know, I'd love to talk to you about whether it could be a good fit. Um, and Adama is one of many programs of Chazon, which is the Jewish lab for sustainability. And whether or not Adama sounds like a good fit for you, you can still check out Chazon.org to learn more ways to connect food and spirituality. We have programs in New York, Detroit, and of course, here in the northwest corner of Connecticut. And I would also say a really simple way you can get involved is by you know, pausing before your next meal and taking a moment to think about, you know, how many hands went into getting that meal to your plate from, you know, the people who planted the seeds and harvested the vegetables and who washed it, who packaged it, who drove it where, how did it get to your kitchen and into your plate? Um, and just finding that moment of gratitude, I think, can go a long way. Thank you so much for joining us at the table. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think by leaving a rating on iTunes. Or if you have show ideas, comments, or just want to reach us directly, send us an email at fully.yours.podcast at gmail.com. For today's show notes, our blog, and more, be sure to check us out at fullyyourspodcast.com. 
Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for their generous grant funding of this podcast. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford Martin for producing the original song featured in this podcast. Also to Melody for our gorgeous logo design and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Until next time, we are fully yours. <laughs>